Well, as Rupert's away, uh, we return to the series that I've titled No Direction Home. So please grab your Bibles and turn to the letter of James. You'll see on the, the back of the handout, there's the, uh, the sermon notes as well and a place to take notes. And on the inside, there's the page number, if you have a visitor's Bible, page 1011. Before we begin, let's just take a moment to pray and ask for God's help. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would, by your Spirit, um, make yourself known to us. Help us to hear what you've got to say to us through your word and and help us to receive it. Um, Please help me to speak uh, clearly and not get in the way of what you've got to say to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, The reading this morning will be in chapter 1 and start from verse 19 and then go down to verse 27. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, to begin with, I want you to imagine a man walking down a very long road and he looks very tired, he looks very weary, he looks exhausted, Perhaps he looks like some of us when we come to church on a Sunday. And he finally gets to the end of the road and he reaches his destination and he looks up and there is this glorious building in front of him. And this building is surrounded by all kinds of lovely nature. There's trees, there's birds singing. Um, And the building is a monastery. And he's become so tired of the world, of the hardship of the trials, the temptations, the grief, the pain. And he just thinks, the only way I can go on living as a Christian is to just escape all of that behind me and just find refuge here. Um, And you can imagine as he walks through the door, uh, verse 19 is kind of presented presented to him as a verse kind of to commit to as a monk. And he has to memorize this verse, know this, my beloved brothers... Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. And you can imagine him being like, oh, finally, this is what I've been looking for. A life of silence, listening, humility, and love. And I think we can empathize with this guy because being a Christian, it isn't easy. You know, when you, when you receive the gift of faith, it's amazing. But to then carry on living in this world of no faith, it's, it's exhausting. It's very, very difficult. And you can empathize that someone would want to just get away from things and think, I just, I just can't cope anymore. Um, and this is a similar situation to what the, the people are going through that James are writing to. They haven't reached the point of making a, a decision uh, about uh, not being able to cope, but it's become very clear that they're not coping. Uh, we've seen at the start of chapter, in the first half of chapter one, uh, they're, they're failing to trust God in trials and they're failing to trust God in temptation. And I think you'll know that any relationship that, um, where trust has gone, there's, it's going to be heading in the wrong direction. And so the whole letter that James is writing is just pleading to these people, uh, first of all, you know, look, you've gone wrong, and then please, please, please turn around. So that brings us to our, our first point. Uh, God's word leads to living in purity and truth, and we'll be looking at verses 19 to 21. Now, for us, we can see as we scan across the letter that, that things are going wrong, but for them, they're going to need some convincing. You know, if you're, if you're heading in the wrong direction, it's not easy to just know that you are. Um, and I think when you uh, take any relationship and you want to show them that there's something wrong, that's, that's quite a challenge. A bit embarrassing, but I've become a little bit obsessed with the Johnny Depp and Amber Heard trial. I don't know if anyone else is watching that. A few smiles, I don't know. Um, and the thing is, you know, they're going through all these witnesses that testi testify to all these moments of rage and anger and just filth and, and, you know, to use James's words, filthiness and rampant wickedness, you know. And the thing is, in, in verse uh, 19, to, to 19 and 20, uh, to 21, it's just one of a few uh, testimonies to all the, the horrid behavior that these, these Christians are displaying. If you look at verse 19 uh, to 21, clearly uh, they're angry. If he's having to tell them, look, you know, if you look at verse 20, either side, there's that word anger. If he's having to tell them this, look, clearly that's what they're producing. They're producing anger. They're not producing the righteousness of God. There's an anger issue. Uh, if we look through uh, chapter 1, if you remember verse 5, he's pleading them, look, if, you're, if you've got a problem, ask God for wisdom. So clearly they're not doing that. Um, in verse 13, he's like, can you stop blaming God for your temptation? You know, These guys have got themselves in a, in a, a real bad place. They're heading in the wrong direction with their relationship with God. And I think when we read, you know, don't be angry, don't be angry, uh, that monk, for instance, was probably just thinking of his general anger. You know, just thinking, oh, I'm angry all the time. I'm angry at my boss. I'm angry at my kids. I'm angry at my wife. I'm angry at my friends. And I think we'll come to see that, yes, they are angry with each other. And that is a big problem. But I think this week, anyway, 
we need to think that actually they're, they're primarily and firstly angry with God. And that's a big, big problem. Because that's, that's how you're going to sort out the rest of being angry with each other. And I think um, one of the keys of the way this, this little section works is, is where it says that word, uh, put away. Put away in contrast with the word receive. All that, that, that anger that's, that's boiling up, and maybe it looks like it's towards other people and not to God, but all that anger, they need to put away that so that they can receive the word of God with meekness. And I think this is perhaps the most important um, imperative, that's the word we use, of the, of the whole letter. Receive with meekness the implanted word, I mean, it's a, which is able to save your souls. The anger, the filthiness, the wickedness, all of that is getting in the way of them receiving the word. So any problem that they've got going on, all of that needs to be put away somehow and receive, receive the word. But I want to just take a, a pause before we move, any, uh, move along any further, just in case we get a little bit confused here, because I'm not saying it's not okay to be angry uh, with God, to present him our anger. Um, you know, we, I think Rupert, the last couple of weeks, or certainly through Easter, we talked about uh, lamenting. We can bring God our sadness, our pain, and that's, that's, that's brilliant, isn't that? Aren't we so blessed that we can do that? But I think what's going on with these Christians is uh, they're not bringing God into the conversation at all. The relationship is so bad, um, you know, that James is having to remind them to go to God, go to God to receive his word. They've pushed him so far away, um, you know, that they're, they've, well, they don't know. That's why he's writing to them. Verse 18, if you remember the last time we were here, God has given us birth by his word. God is raising us by his word. And they've just rejected it entirely. It's a very, very dangerous thing to, to develop, to curate, and just to allow a life that gets in the way of God's word. There is a, I was away last weekend teaching on the Book of Common Prayer, and there's a, a prayer in it um, for the first week in Easter, and it goes like this. It says, put away the leaven of malice and wickedness so that we can serve God in purity and truth. And I thought how, how good that prayer is for this, this passage, this idea of um, putting away what is wrong so that we can do and receive what is right. Um, actually, in that prayer, it talks about the leaven, the leaven of malice and, and wickedness. And that leaven reminds us of um, Jesus' warning of the teaching of the Pharisees, you know, the Pharisees who are hypocrites, you know. And I think it's just really challenging the way that, um, you know, the Pharisees were, were doing all the right things visually. They weren't necessarily looking angry, um, but their heart was so in the wrong place that they didn't just... They didn't just fail to, to receive the word, they actually sent him to his death, you know. Um, and I think that's, that was really helpful for seeing that dynamic um, in, this, in this passage. And as we think about applying it to ourselves, I think it's actually really, really uh, tricky. I don't know if I want to use the word sneaky, 
But our, our, our behavior, our life, things that are happening in our world, they can, just, they can just be pushed to the side and they can just boil up, they can grow. And that's when we start to slowly drift away, drift away. Um, but we might know people who are actually miles away. They might be living in a way where, I don't know, they might be living in, in such a sinful way um, maybe sexually or with um, addiction. Um, it could be anything. And, you know, yes, you know, God's grace is big enough to, to, to cover that and to, to welcome them. But what is it doing week by week to their, their walk with Christ? Are they walking with him? Are they receiving his word? Or are they just gradually pushing it away, pushing it away, pushing it away and drifting away? It's difficult, it's difficult. And I think, you know, again, I, I have uh, compassion for the guy who goes to the monastery. Um, you know, he, he wants solitude. And I, I think, you know, we know solitude is a great thing. You know, I, I love solitude. It's a way to, to recharge our, our batteries. It's something that is necessary. Um, but I think the monastery is a bit extreme. You know, I don't think we need to do that. I, I want to suggest three R's for us to do in our daily lives. I think if we remodel, reschedule, and reprioritize, there's a way of, of living in that silence, listening, humility, and love uh, that doesn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. You don't have to go into a monastery. I think we just need to reshape uh, the way our, 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 the rhythm of our daily lives. And I think in the end, if we can carve out um, this, this, this time or we can remodel it, reschedule it, reprioritize it, I think that's a way of putting away all that, all that which gets in the way of God's word. And I think this is, this is a lovely thing to know and it's a lovely thing to talk about um, but there's more to it than that, isn't there? And I think that's why James gives us the warning as we move to our, our next point, uh, verses 22 to 27. There's, it's a bit of a silly example, but you know when you're driving somewhere you've never been before, and you're pretty certain you know where you're going. Um, I don't know, maybe you've never driven to Glasgow before, and so you're driving along, and suddenly it's really sunny, and it's not raining, and you're like, oh... <laughs> I don't think this is Glasgow. <laughs> but you don't want to admit that you've gone in the wrong direction. And so you know, your passenger says that I think it's wrong. Oh, I don't know. No, it's fine. And you ask a local and they say, you know, I'm not going to do a Scottish accent. But they, they say, no, this is, this is not Glasgow. And you're so certain you're going the right way. So you plow on, you know. And that's a, that's a silly example, isn't it? But if, if it's true for us in the little things, it's so much more true for us in the big things. And that's why, why James warns us. Verse 22, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. You know that saying, um, falling on deaf ears? You know, don't, don't let God's word fall on deaf ears. My my primary school teachers used to tell me almost daily that I need to be an active listener. And instead of just like mindlessly, yeah, 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 actually do something about what I'm, what I'm receiving, you know. 
And I think it's easy, really, really easy, to, to move ourselves to the idea of, yeah, great, 19 to 21, I don't want to do sinful stuff and get all that in the way of God's word. I love the idea of God's word. But then that's it. It's just a, it's a, nice, it's a nice idea, you know. And, and I'm not saying this to, to, you know, to be like, oh, you know, I, I really understand how difficult it is. Last few years, I've been studying a lot of theology, you know, a lot of Bible stuff. And I think the, the big danger I saw was that you can go along knowing, um, knowing more about God, but not necessarily knowing God more. You know, and I think that was a real big danger, like, oh, wow, look at this. Look at this about the, the Trinity. Look at the ontological and economic relationship of the, of the Trinity. You know, and then you explain what those words mean. And I don't know if it's actually brought me any closer into the loving communion of the Trinity. You know, you, you have to go that next step as well. You know, and I think that's why James is, is, is pushing that as we go through. And he uses this, this illustration, which... I don't know how you found that uh, in Diggers, whether you went through that illustration. I I think it's a bit confusing. I think I put a a notice to look at that. Let's let's read it out. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. Now, when we, when we read that, I, I wasn't quite sure at first, but I think I've done enough work with it and I've done enough kind of looking at commentaries and stuff. And I think, I think the way it works is that if you look into the mirror intently, the word intently means thorough. So you've made some really good observations about what you've seen in the mirror. But verse 24, he looks at himself and then he goes away and forgets what he was like. Now, Andy Gemmell says, a mirror is an agent of change. It's very absurd to use a mirror and to notice what's wrong and not do anything about it. So, an illustration to illustrate an illustration. Imagine you're, you're getting ready for school or you're getting ready for a wedding. You know, something, something big where you've got to have a uniform and, and you're all dressed up uh, and you're ready to go, and you think, I'm just going to go to the bathroom and, and check before I go out. And you look in the mirror, uh, and there is, you know, your hair's out of place. It's all over the place. Um, maybe you were chewing a pen, and there's ink all over your face as well, you know. Uh, maybe if you shave, uh, there's a big chunk of hair, and then you realize, oh, look where I fell over when I was walking the dog. There's mud all over my head, you know. And then you think, great, right, I'm off. I'm just going to go. I'm going to school. I'm going to the wedding. It's just absurd, isn't it? There's, there's no way you would, you would look in the mirror like that and not want to make a change. And I think this is, this is, this is what James is saying. You know, God's word works in our lives by change. And in this letter, this change is the bad behavior. And I think the, the, the tricky thing with this is that many people, maybe, maybe Christians as well, we will see the change that, that God's word wants to make as a really bad thing. We'll see it as rules and regulations. It's, it's, it's restricting our lives. It's making us boring. It's, it's, you know, don't do this and you can't do that, you know. Um, one of my, my favourite verses in the Bible is Acts 17, verse 6. And 
there's these Jews who are really angry at these Christians, and they try to get them arrested, and they say, these men have turned the world upside down. And I think, you know, no, although they don't mean it like this, I think it's a really accurate way of describing the gospel of God's word, that the gospel turns the world upside down. And for some people, that's going to be a real, that's going to be a real bad thing, a real negative thing. For us, it's been a hard thing. But I think what James wants us to push for is to see that it's a great thing. If you look at the end of verse 25, he uses the word uh, blessed. We are blessed in our our doing. And I think the real key to see uh, how James wants to talk about this positively is the way he talks, the way he describes the law. So if you look in verse 25, in contrast to uh, the mirror that is looked at, we have uh, and is forgotten, we have the, the law of liberty that's looked at. And the law, the, the perfect law. And I think what he means by perfect law, I think he means, well, I read this, in terms of God's law being perfect, it conveys the perfect nature of God. And it allows us to realign our imperfect selves with his perfect nature. And by law of liberty, he means that it's, it's, a, it's a freedom. There's a freedom in God's, word, in God's word. We often think, or some people might think, God's law uh, imprisons the self. But actually, it's about liberating the self to be the true self that God made in his image. Um, I had a quote written down from a guy says, we are truly free when we live the life appropriate to those who are created in the image of God. And I think if we can get excited about the change that God's word can bring, because we see it as a liberation, I think we're responding rightly uh, to what James is saying. And I think, I think the key as well, if you notice the word perseveres, I think that stands as a contrast to the person who looks away at once, who looks away and forget. If we look into the, God's perfect law of liberty and persevere, we're going to keep looking. We're excited to look into God's law. It's hard, and we notice, oh, wow, that's embarrassing. I can't believe this, this, and that. But wow, isn't it great that we can bring this to God, and God can make this change happen? We are very blessed indeed. But as we move through this, uh, through this passage, we see that it, it's not just the individual self who's blessed. If you, if you notice, as we, as we move along, uh, it's, it's opened up to other people who will be blessed as well. Um, if we look at verse you know, 27, James talks about a religion that is pure and undefiled before uh, God is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. Now, uh, he doesn't just mean like specifically you have to visit orphans and widows. That's it. That's an exhaustive list. Uh, Tim Chester says, James is using widows and orphans to describe all those who are vulnerable because of their marginalized status. God's word works to bring change in our individual lives, and that's amazing. But it doesn't end there. We are brought into the love between the Father and the Son, 
and that beautiful, selfless, humble, giving love is opened up to all people. And when we, we look at the way Jesus loved people, you know, I'm not, you know, James is not saying, you know, you can only love those who are marginalized, but it's the, probably they're the hardest to love at certain times, aren't they? You know that you're not going to get anything back financially. My experience, some of the people who are most marginalized and struggling um, actually can be quite angry at your help. You know, it can feel like a very empty thing to do, but that's the way Jesus loved people. He loved people who didn't have anything but everything to give to him. And I think that's the, the, the big kind of challenge, I suppose, to moving from just being, you know, the guy in the monastery is, is focused on, look, I really need this for me, but then moving it to, actually, it's for, for, for all people. The change in me will be brought to a change in others as well. Um, and we'll, we'll pick up on that in, in chapter two next week, which is very exciting because it's a big part of, of, this, of this letter. Uh, but if you look at verse 26 again, it picks up that putting away thing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, so there's a sense of, here's my behavior, let's do something about it so that we can put it away and not have a religion, as he describes, as worthless. I think that's quite, that's quite hard to hear. Um, but how worthwhile is our, our religion, is our, our practice, our, our piety, if you know, there's an unchainedness to our nature? How helpful is it if it's just purely private? You know, I, I read, uh, I think it was Tim Chester was saying, religion uh, in, the in the last few years has become kind of this private thing we do because the world, you know, they just, they just don't want it. You know, and they, they push it away. And I think it's a kind of like, well, be grateful that you can even have a religion, religious service, you know. And it, and it, it, it becomes this, this, it generates this private, private religion. And, and it, it's just very, very unhelpful. Um, but for you guys, you know, who are working in the secular world, you can see how you would, you would get there. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be... Uh, trying to be a good Christian, but I'm facing the hardship of my secular world every, every, every single day. Um, and so I'll just try and keep it to myself. You know, it's, it, it's not what James, you know, James is pushing us to open that up. And I think as we, as we, as we apply this, as I, as I close, I think, you know, again, we think of our imaginary friend, the, the monk who is broken. I think he, he needs to go beyond verse 19, doesn't he? He needs to see the whole passage. And he needs to be encouraged that escape is not the way forward with God. He could turn right round home, go back to his really hard job, all his horrible you know, neighbors or whatever he's got going on, and he could deal with it. He could deal with the problems if he was to receive the implanted word, which is able to save souls. And if he says, well, how do I do this as a long-term solution? Again, I offer, I got, offer him those, those three R's of 
remodeling his life, rescheduling, reprioritizing his daily rhythm of his life so that he has silence, that he's listening to God, that he lives in a posture of humility and to love. Then he receives God's word. Then he welcomes the change, and he sees change as a good thing. Before we respond to God uh, by singing and praising to him, let's just have a, a moment to pray about those things. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way that it, it challenges us, the way, that, the way that your spirit, by your word, flags up all that is wrong. We thank you that we can run to you and we can cling to you. And just now, Father, we lift you in the silence, all the things that are on our hearts and all the pains and the scars and the wounds, all the grief, all the affliction. We lay it all at the cross and we know that your mercy is more than we need. We know that you are infinite in grace and we thank you for this this morning and pray for a real change in our lives. Amen.